everyone. Welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours, where we take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on the university campus. My name is Cassie, and I'm hosting by myself today. But Nathan is here to share his testimony with us, and I am so excited for you all to hear it. Nathan hosted my testimony episode a couple of weeks ago, so it's fun that now we get to switch. We hope that hearing about what God has done in his life will be encouraging to you, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. So, Nathan, thanks for coming in today and being willing to share your testimony with us. I was voluntold. I want it to be on record that I was voluntold. He was voluntold, but <laughs> he agreed to do it, so it's his own fault that he's here. <laughs> All right, so obviously you're here on the podcast a lot, um, but how about you introduce yourself by sharing what you do on staff here at OSU? Uh, because I made this promise last night, um, what I do on the Chi Alpha staff, I promised I would say this on the podcast last night. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do on the staff is literally Christian's bidding. Mm-hmm. It's basically been my life for the last three years. But more practically speaking, um, and less humorously speaking, um, I uh, I do a lot of th- stuff, I think. I think I do a lot <laughs> of stuff. Anyway, um, I do, uh, I mean, I teach the LTC class. I uh, I wrote and work uh, I wrote the material for the prayer and devotion material, so there's a lot of teaching material that uh, I've worked with for uh, Chi Alpha OSU. Uh, my prob- my biggest uh, project or uh, uh, facet of what I do is the Haven. Um, so I've been since we've come here, uh, my role has been to get the Haven on its feet um, and trying to build a positive male community. Um, here at the house. Um, and then I do a lot of dude discipleship. Um, yeah. Yep. And you have a core. That's well, yeah, that would be part of my dude discipleship. Great. I've never heard someone call it that before, but that's the alliteration is what fun. we should call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, um, let's just jump into your story. Where do you want to start? So... Um, one of the best testimonies I've ever heard in my life um, was actually while I was at Bible school. Um, and it was by uh, a guy and a, uh, a man and a woman, um, St- uh, Jill and Stuart Briscoe, um, who are in their 80s now. I think when, actually, I think when I heard them, they were in their 80s. Um, and they were uh, Christian pastors, um, and they've had a very, very long and successful ministry. Um, and their time... Uh, in the course of their life, they had um, attended the Bible school I went to when they were quite young, uh, in their 20s or 30s, so a very long time ago, much longer before I had ever gone. Uh, they had served on staff at the Bible school as well. Um, and they had been so deeply impacted by their time at Cape and Ray Bible School um, that they uh, literally fly from America every year to teach for a week. Uh, the structure typically of Cape and Ray is that uh, they have a guest speaker, and that guest speaker um, talks for a week, and then they go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the rhythm. But the start of the week, the start of their time, they usually share their story. Well, uh, Jill and Stuart Briscoe have been on uh, Christians for 50-plus years. They they were originally Eng- like lived in England. They're mm-hmm. both from England originally, but moved to America and and thing, uh, but moved to America and did ministry in America for until now, um, and so they really had a very hard 
I think they had a very hard time uh, narrowing down what to tell in their testimony, which they are given an hour to an hour and a half to share their testimony. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite quite a bit of time, but they still are like, I, we have so much that we can say. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that stuck out to me in their testimony was that they said that, you know, there's a proverb that says, you know, um, Oh, I'm trying to remember the proverb. I should, probably should have looked it up, but it's to the effect of like there's these bits of wisdom, and they call them apples of gold and settings of silver. Um, and very much similarly to them, I, I do feel, and I'm not trying to like be like, oh, my life is so rich in tales and glory and all this stuff. That's good. But, we would um, kick you off the podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, totally kidding. We the, would not do that. Yeah, you would. <laughs> no, you would. No, you wouldn't. Yes, you would. But the um, very similarly, I feel like there's just been a lot that's happened in my life in the 36 years of my life, and it's actually quite difficult to decide what to talk about. And mm-hmm. so I decided to do something very similar to them. In which case, it's um, talking about apples of gold and settings of silver, um, things that the Lord has kind of taught me over the course of my life, um, and and touching on like the bits of my life that feed into those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be a little bit jumpy perhaps at times. Um, like we're going to be moving um, between, you know, my childhood and teenage years and my 20s and 30s and, and things like that. And I'll, I'll try to be as clear as possible in that process. But um, uh, just so everybody's aware, it's not going to be a linear tale. Um, Nathan's not a linear person. No, to the confusion and... Um, disgruntledness of of my coworkers. <laughs> no um but um but yeah so so yeah that's just so you know that's kind of how it's going to be structured um so the first thing I, I think i would start with and this is like probably the most consistent and persistent aspect of my life um oh in like 36 years of time is like a really strong um, sense of loneliness, very strong sense of loneliness and isolation, and a strong desire to um, be near to God mm-hmm. um, and wanting God to have a relationship. And so, to to kind of describe what that looks like is in my youth, I was I was bullied a great deal uh, in school from a very young age. I think like the first grade um, or kindergarten. I I made a friend in kindergarten. So six, you know, he was my best friend because yes. that's what you do when you're <laughs> six years old. You make best friends. Um, and in the first grade, though, he started making friends with other people. And he basically used those friends to target me for bullying mm-hmm. for the whole of my public school career. Um, and he was popular. And I was a little bit of a weird kid, um, admittedly. I still am. And uh, and so I was bullied a great a great deal. Like I couldn't escape it. It was literally just pervasive um, for for my entire public school career. And so that really created a sense of isolation, uh, created a lot of depression and things like that. And which depression kind of perpetuates the isolation. Um, you uh, because of that depression, I struggled in school in a way. Like I did decently with grades. But, like, I didn't do work. Mm -hmm. And so because I wasn't ambitious, I think, or driven, they kept putting me in the other classes, if that makes sense, which is where the bullies were. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, it was problematic. But all my friends, the the few friends I actually had, um, the few friends I actually did have were quite uh, 
able to to function in school positively. And so, but I was oftentimes not put in the same class with them. And so there was like just a strong sense of like nobody around me is like with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that loneliness, that sense of isolation, and then being at home was quite isolating as well. I, I grew up, um, I'm the youngest of three kids. Um, I have two older sisters uh, and a mom and dad and they're still married, which is really great. Mm-hmm. But um, my dad and I are very, very different people. Um, as I've gotten older, we get along really much better. We kind of understand each other a lot better. But my dad is very mechanical, and he's a blue-collar guy, very gruff, loves sports. Mm-hmm. I do not like any of those things. Um, um, I was much more creative, much more abstract in my thinking. He was much more uh, binary. He is much more binary. It's like, this is the way it is. And I'm like, well, maybe it's not that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so kind of questioning things. And so, and uh, one of my sisters had a lot of anger issues and she often took those anger issues out on myself. And so I really was moving from like a public school setting where I'm not, I, I'm not safe and I'm being assaulted and attacked um, or not assaulted and attacked. I was mostly, it was mostly verbal bullying. I didn't physically get bullied very much. Um, and then coming home and kind of having a similar thing. And my parents weren't happy with my sister mm-hmm. punish, uh, being angry and, and hurting me in that way. But, uh, um, the, but it, there was at the same time this lack of, like, we're not home all the time, so we can't really make sure that um, she is not hurting me. And so, and so, I mean, granted, that kind of diminished when I got into high school and I was bigger than her at that point. But uh, that was a really big problem for a long time. And mm-hmm. um, it was quite scary at times. Um, and so it became a very, like, uh, I pushed people away. I was very, very aggressive in, in that aspect of my life um, of not understanding that most people really don't like me and don't want to help me or benefit me. And so really just pushing a lot of people away. And that's still something I struggle with sometimes. Um, but in the midst of all that bullying and all those hardships, I, I grew up in the church. My family is all Christian and grew up in the church. And uh, there is this language that Christians use of being very much um, about uh, there is this God and, and God interacts with us and, and God wants to help us. And so I didn't have a lot of other resources to help because teachers kind of suck and they don't do anything for to stop bullying. Um, I actually remember one time having an outburst towards a bully and that's when we got in trouble. And I was like, I've been bullied for like a year now mm-hmm. and I'm getting caught, not him yeah. really. And... Um, and so, like, just really feeling like the victim in a lot of situations. And so, anyway, but I was, like, very consistently um, asking the Lord for um, deliverance and him not really showing up. And yet, I'm around these Christians at my church. And my church wasn't, a, like, a very positive atmosphere for me either. I was a very smart kid. Um, I had a lot of questions, and evolution and Big Bang Theory were things, and so there's, like, questions about the creation of the world and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and I'm asking big questions, and pastors are just kind of looking at me cross-eyed, being like, what? Mm -hmm. Why are we talking about this? And I'm like, well, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, And so, so, like, there just wasn't a lot of positive communities for me to be a part of. 
And there were some, I, I do want to preface this, that I did have some really good friends. Um, and one of the things that the Lord has blessed me with that I only really realized in my late 20s was that uh, he gave me friends that last a very long time. Mm-hmm. So my friend Miles and I have been friends since middle school. Um, and Miles is like one of the greatest people I've known mm-hmm. ever. And he's just absolutely wonderful. And um, Anyway, he... Anyway, so so there's these Christians that I know, and they're all talking like, oh, like, oh, God is talking to me about this thing. And like, and they're using this language of familiarity with God. But I'm like, God doesn't seem all that familiar to me. And why does he not, you know, mm-hmm. um, why is there not that familiarity? And so for much of my childhood, I was really struggling to understand this um, and really wanting that largely, admittedly, from the deliverance standpoint of like life was just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted God to uh, help me with that. And um, even at the age of 36, I still feel a, a strong sense of loneliness most of the time. Uh, even in my sense of, like, even when I seem, feel or seem positive, um, I, I, I really am like, no, actually, no, it's still there. And um, there's a lot of things that the Lord has talked to me about with that. And... Um, Oh gosh, I even forgot. So, few points of emphasis. A uh, one point of emphasis of just like the sense of loneliness that I really had was. Um, sorry, I'm jumping around. This is the hard part about not doing things linearly. You warned um, us this would happen. I warned you it's all. Okay. Um, but like when I was 16, there was I had one friend. I had a well, I had more than one. But like there was this one kid who lived on my block. All of my friends didn't live near me. They lived a few miles mm-hmm. from me. But there was this kid that lived on my block. His name is Max. And he lived up the street, like two houses. And he was 11 and I was 16. Um, but that, I don't know how. I actually, I think my sister babysat them, he, he and his sister, for a number of years. And one day she couldn't do it. And it's like, oh, well, Nathan could do it. And mm-hmm. I was like, sure, why not? So I did it, made a few bucks. But like then Max was like, kind of like looking for this older brother kind of thing. Mm. And so, and so he would literally for like a long time, like year, like a year or so, like he was just like, Oh man, I'm going to go hang out with Nathan. So I'd literally come home from school, be playing video games and Max would come over and he'd just sit down and he'd just like watch me play video games and we'd just goof off and we'd play and, and stuff like that. And then, um, when I was 16 and so like he was really just this constant like few uh bit of fuel like that said like no like you're fun I like mm-hmm. hanging out with you like you're like the coolest person on earth whereas everybody else is like Nathan you're stupid um like you're not cool like you, no one wants you and like that being a very very common theme for much of my childhood Max was like this first like consistent avenue of like no, you're really like, I really like you. And like, mm-hmm. I want to spend time with you and be with you and, yeah. um, and stuff. And, and, um, but, uh, one day I had gone for the weekend to, um, hang out with a, a small group leader that I had had in middle school, uh, with miles. And, uh, we went down to Seattle where he lived and I got home and my mom got a phone call. It was Max's mom. And, um, she told me, I remember I was sitting in the living room and Mac, my mom turns to me and she says, Max is dead. What? And uh, he had uh, contracted spinal meningitis and passed away very suddenly. Um, 
And the dig of it is, is I was in a biology class at the time and we were supposed to do uh, reports on various diseases. And the one I did a month before was spinal meningitis. And, uh, and I was like, I remember going to my room and I remember being like, God, you missed. Like, I should be dead. I don't, I'm the one that doesn't want to live. And it uh, kind of uh, perpetuated this um, this feeling of like God wants me to be alone. Um, I don't have friends. I don't have people that care about me. And that wasn't entirely, that definitely wasn't true. Um, Miles was definitely a friend of mine at the time. Mm-hmm. And Miles is, uh, as I've said on this podcast a number of times, is like a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, and, um, he, um, was with me through these things and, and like, you know, we were both like 16, so we don't know anything about this stuff, but Miles was just there with me through all of the feelings of depression. And I was very severely depressed, um, for a number of years. And Miles was still like, no, Nathan's my friend and like hung out with me and made a concerted effort. But Miles even wasn't in any of my classes. I think I, I only ever had one class with him. Um, in four years of high school and um another aspect of like this feeling of being bullied and stuff is when i was in high school miles and i hung out a lot and miles was a fair bit more popular than i was um he was just like he kind of just owned being um creative and just being himself he was just very self-possessed in that way um and uh he and i were good friends and he had made a number of friends and so i sat with him at lunch oftentimes and but we made one friend his name was i don't know if i'm i'm okay with this guy now but i like but he literally for the first two years of high school i'd met him my freshman year in high school no joke he didn't call me by my name he called me stupid in our friend group um and Miles was there and other friends we had were there. And finally, and this is like, a lot of you are like, why didn't Miles say anything? Eventually they did. They were just like, you need to stop doing that. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but like, there's this strong sense of like, m- my identity is like being made by people that don't want me, don't care about me and stuff like that. And so there's just this constant feeling of like isolation um, and like, oppression and such i got out of high school eventually i mean long story short we're moving put through a lot of stuff uh but i dated a girl for about four years um out of high school uh i was shoot for from the age of 21 to 25 were you in college at this point uh yes i was in college at this point so i was at a community college at the time and i a little bit into my uh western washington university years and we were dating for a number of years. I thought I was going to get married to her, but like we really had a lot of dysfunction within that. And um, there was just tons of dysfunction. I don't even know where to start with that relationship. I was extremely smart and very fast thinking. She was a very creative type, which, uh, but very like much, very damaged, very damaged. Her like her parents had divorced, her mom remarried, her second dad. Uh, like gambled away mm. like their livelihood and then they got divorced again and then oh she gosh. remarried um and she still i think has a complicated relationship with her family mm. anyway so like she was like kind of this level of like hey my life looks kind of normal because nothing in my life looked normal i wasn't very good at school because none of it made sense in the way like people think differently than i do 
And I, it took me a long time to realize I think differently than other people, and I don't have to try to think like other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so homework was really hard because everybody's telling me, do it this way. And I'm like, but it doesn't make sense to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't very good at conforming to structure in that way. But it was. But everybody was like, no, Nathan's really smart. Mm-hmm. But he just, I just don't think the way other people do. Yeah. And so uh, what was I saying? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know why I brought up the smart thing. Um, Nothing in my life made sense. Okay, that's that's why I brought up the smart thing. I was dating this girl because I was like, I'm like constantly in this culture that I lived in, in this time that I live in, I'm constantly trying to be like everyone else and whatever the people expected me to be. But I don't think that way. Um, And so... And I did want to be in a relationship and things like that, but, but like in some ways, she was like the only bit that work was mm-hmm. working, so to speak, working. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, and then she broke up, and so it was like literally nothing in my life is working. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to school, but I hate it, and it's like exhausting me. Um, the relationship that I had been spending four years trying to build is not working and it's over. My relationship with God is not flourishing. He doesn't seem to talk to me at all. Mm. So what's going on? And I remember just being like absolutely distraught after, uh, she broke up with me. Here's the goofy thing. Uh, about three months before she broke up with me, I went to this prayer thing, prayer circle thing. And I was just like, some stuff had happened and I was just like, you know what? I feel like God is bending me like a stick and I just kind of want him to break me and be done with it. And they were like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pray for that. And then three months later, Mm. people broke up with me. Uh, A few months after that, some other not fun things happened. My car got stolen. Uh, I actually started having a serious existential crisis as to like what the nature of salvation was and if I was saved or not. Um, And so it was really just like two years of bad things happening. Oh, also uh, I was supposed to graduate from Western Washington University when I was 27. And then I go up and apply to graduate and they're like, yeah, you can't graduate. I was like, what? And they're like, you don't have enough upper division credits. I was like, there's not even enough upper division credits in my major yeah. for me to graduate. How many more did you need? Do you remember? Uh, it was like 30. Oh, that's a it lot. Was like, it, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like a few. Yeah. It wasn't like, and I was just like, and I was just like, I hate this. That's I hate everything that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was, so when I was 27, um, I decided that I was quitting everything. And that's what I did. Um, And so I quit school. I was just like, this isn't working. I quit. And all of this was in, like, the pursuit of, like, trying to find God. I was Mm -hmm. like, God, like, you're supposed to be here. My life is supposed to be better with you in it, but it's not really doing the thing. So what's going on here? And so so, uh, I I stopped stopped school, quit school. I worked a part-time job. I cut out, like video games. I cut out mostly, most TV and things like that. I cut out, uh, I was uh, really struggling with pornography as well, uh, for a long time and was like, okay, like no internet. And like literally just for two years was just like doing this thing. Um, and still in Bellingham. Yes. My adventures abroad have not begun. (laughs) Um, 
Well, I kind of went, I actually did tour Europe and Alaska and stuff like that before yes. that, but that's not relevant. Um, okay. And so when I'm 27, I do this, um, do this thing. And I was still living at home and my parents were like, oh, what is Nathan doing? But they were like, oh, Nathan sold his Xbox and his TV. And he's gotten rid of a lot of stuff and he's like reading books and he's he's working a part time job so that, OK, mm -hmm. there's some things there. But my parents were genuinely like kind of like, what's going on? Most people don't do that. Most so people don't do that. Fair. However, <laughs> it was wonderful uh, because six months later and this is where like kind of the loneliness the turning point was six months into this like hiatus from life. Um, I was reading a book that was recommended to me and that's basically what I was doing was I was reading a lot of books uh, by Christians who knew a lot more than anyone I had ever met about yeah. God and they seemed to actually manifest like I actually do hear from him. I was like, oh, there's people like this. Six but months in, you had a breakthrough. You were six months books. in, I'm reading a book called Return of the Prodigal by a guy named Henry Nowen. And uh, the Lord, it was like 2 a.m. or something like that when I was reading it. I was working a graveyard shift. And I was reading this thing, and he says something. I, And I don't know actually what the words were. <laughs> I don't remember. But I remember that the Lord was like saying through it, like, he's like, Nathan, I, I promise I have things for you. And um, I remember for three days, I just had the biggest smile in my heart. I was just like, oh, God's got something for me. And I'd never felt that. It was like this sense of joy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I was just like floored by it. I was like, God's there. God actually said something. And I'd been wanting him to say something for a very long time and do something. And um, and uh, there was a lot of crises because after three days, the feeling went away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is God gone? And all this stuff. And so that's another thing. But, like, there was, like, this sense of, like, God um, wanting uh, things for me. And he's like, I have good things. I promise that there's good things. And the other thing that God taught me through that was that, I had spent most of my life pursuing the fruits of the spirit, you know, and the thing, the what I'm going to call the byproducts of God. Um, like, so it's like, oh, I need to be more patient. I need to be more gentle. I need to be more kind. I need to be this. I need to be that. And the thing that I realized about that Galatians 522 passage is that it says fruit of spirit, which means it's like actually stop chasing those things and start pursuing the spirit start pursuing God himself yeah. and those things happen along the way and I'd realized I was like oh I was trying to be a good person but it's actually through like my relationship with the Lord that I learn how to be those that I just sort of um they just sort of happen out of that relationship mm -hmm. and so like after that um that time uh I I a lot of just good things started happening. I don't I don't know how else to put it. Uh, six months after that, I went to England and I went to Bible school. And anybody who's met me, I loved it. It was fan-flipping-tastic. <laughs> talks about it all the time. Yes. Um, and uh, I met, like, I had landed myself into a community of people that, like, liked me mm -hmm. um, and found value to the way I thought and the way... Um, the way I thought and the things I'd struggled with because I'd been like, am I saved? 
uh, is there a God? I was asking all these big philosophical questions and no one was really helpful to me, um, especially Christians, actually. <laughs> Just going to say it. Um, I actually remember, and like, I don't know, I, this story comes to mind, like just how other thinking I was. I remember sitting in uh, sitting in the office of this pastor and we developed a relationship. And he was, I was like, I can't remember the conversation we were having, the topic was, but I was like presenting a sort of a counter argument to what he was saying about God. And I was like, I was like, but what about, and he's like, Nathan, you need to just believe. And I was like, no, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know when you say you need to just believe. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And I remember him s- stopping and being like, oh, like Nathan knows what's wrong, but he doesn't know what it means to believe anything. I'm like, I'm a cynic and a skeptic. I was raised in a cynical society that doesn't believe in faith and wants like concrete stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, oh, and like, and so I was just, I think I thought very differently from Christians and other people. Anyway, which adds to a feeling of isolation because no one thinks like you. Anyway, so I go to Cape and Ray, and I remember there's a guy, hey, shout out to Will Eccles and Danny Granzow. Uh, they uh, were these two guys in particular, and there was another guy named Zach. Uh, Zach, what was his last name? Anyway, I can't remember. Sorry, Zach. Um, and these three guys, for some weird reason, I to this day do not understand. They decided to like shout my name constantly. <laughs> so at Bible school, the first three days, September 28th for all of time is literally been decreed Ham Appreciation Day. <laughs> ham is myself. Um, don't ask. Nickname? Maybe we'll get there. Nickname. Yes. Sure. Uh, they literally like wrote my name and it was an election year. So they were like oh, campaigning no. for me. It's like, hey, ham 2012. And like people would like, I'm not joking. I was like known by everyone in two days and 180 students. Everybody's like, oh, hi. I'm like, hi, person I've never met. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. And then there was this a Romanian kid named David who was trying to convert everybody to predeterminism, which freaked everyone out. And he was like, Nathan, or Ham, Nathan, like, you're you're smart. Tell them why predeterminism is true. And I was like, I'm not a predeterminist. And then I explained my position. And then everybody's like, Nathan is really smart. And he's actually really a comforting person to talk to. And everybody hated him. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't like me Um, because anyway, don't try to convert people to theological premises like he anyway. Sorry. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so like really honestly, within a week or two weeks, everybody was like, oh, Nathan must be this really cool guy, even though I had done literally nothing. That's great. And then everybody's like, oh, Nathan's really smart and he's kind of very nice and he's very like good listener. We kind of like that about him, too. And so, like, literally for, like, months, people are like, Nathan, I don't know about if I'm saved. I'm like, oh, well, this is what I think. And they're like, wow, I feel much better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, great. And so um, um, through that experience, like, I found, like, what, like, kind of the shadow of what it was to be accepted and wanted. Um, But one of the things that God told me while I was at Cape he was like, Nathan, you're not going to have a home. 
Um, and I was like, I do not like this idea. Um, and uh, by the time I left Cape and Ray, which was after a year, that's how long the program was, I was like, literally had just started another journey of like bouncing around. And so mm -hmm. from the age of 28 to 33, no, 34, the age of 34 until I came to OSU, I changed uh, where I lived five times, six times, mm -hmm. something like that. When God said that, did you have a sense of what he meant? That I wasn't going to have a home. That you were going to bounce around to many other places? Yeah, I was going to go from yeah. one place to another. And he didn't yeah. say how for how long or anything like that. I was like, yeah. oh. And so I like, which again magnifies my feelings of loneliness. And I mm -hmm. developed a lot of social skills uh, at Cape and Ray and uh, a little bit before. Um, and so I, I, I had learned how to like make contact with people and be friendly to people and um, and so I was good at making friends, but at, after a while, I was just like, um, by the time I went to WSU, I was just fatigued or left mm -hmm. WSU, which, so, so you guys know. So I went to Cape and Ray, left Cape and Ray. That was one year. I went back home to Bellingham, Washington, and was there for two-ish years, three years, three years. Mm -hmm was there for three years, but I had to, but I changed my friend groups twice in that time. Oh. So I had made a lot of friends in my philosophy department, but then I joined CCF. And so it was really, really difficult keeping both those relationships alive. And that's actually one of my big regrets. So did you finish I, your degree in that time? I did finish my degree in that time. And so then what happened after that? Um, uh, then I went to WSU, Washington State University to do my second year of the Chi Alpha internship was there for a year, went back to Bellingham and worked at Skagavelli College for a year, and then went to OSU. So there was a lot of moving around in a very short period of time mm -hmm. um, and made a lot of really great friends. Like I remember leaving Cape and Ray and it's just like literally 170 people just crying for like two days. <laughs> it's a very emotionally exhausting experience. Like the professors actually don't attend because they're just are like, it's so emotionally exhausting. <laughs> so I didn't get to say, oh, shout out to Rob Whitaker, who's amazing. Um, they're never gonna hear this, but anyway. Um, the and so I was just really, um, but yeah, just the Lord had told me that I was going to bounce around, and I thought at, when I went to WSU, I was like, "This is it. This is where God's going to take me. This is where mm -hmm. I'm going to land." And it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I had two more years, and it wasn't until I came to OSU. OSU is like the first place I've been for more than two years, three years, um, and so it's been a really long journey. Within that, though. The Lord, uh, I remember my first year of the Chi Alpha internship. Um, I remember sitting down and I was feeling really lonely actually at the Chi Alpha internship uh, at Western because I was much older than most of the people. I was 31, I think. Um, and so I was much older. I still thought very differently from most people. Most people had a hard time connecting with me. I had an easy time connecting with them, but it didn't always reciprocate. Um, even though they loved me and cared for me, but there wasn't that sense of like, I understand Nathan. Yeah. Um, uh, my, However, my mentor, David Nebel, is amazing. And I love David Nebel. Shout, Shout out, out to David De Nebel, who 
might listen to this podcast. <laughs> there's a there's a little bit higher chance there. But um and uh David is just great. Um oh yeah, I was feeling lonely in internship. And uh in the Chi Alpha internship there is a twenty four hour fasting and solitude retreat. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to go on that. It was right after the Christmas break. Um and uh I was like, Lord, you know, I haven't heard from you um in a while. And when I say heard from you, it's very specific. I actually, there's a lot of different ways in which God speaks. And I was hearing him in various ways, but there was like this specific, like very intimate voice in which he spoke that one time. Mm -hmm. I was like, Lord, it's been like a few years. I'd I'd really just like to hear from you. Like I didn't really, um, and there wasn't a sense of like, you need to talk to me. It was just like, I I just really want to hear from you. And uh, I went on the fasting and solitude retreat and I'd been struggling with loneliness and there's like a lot of fears that were working in me and, and stuff. Um, and I went to the solitude retreat with this song, Be Still My Soul. In my head, it's a very old hymn and it, I couldn't get it out of my head. I just kept singing it, oh, the first verse over and over in my head. And um, I remember walking into, we had each of our, uh, each of us had our own room at the Fasting and Solitude Retreat. And I remember closing the door and just crying and the Lord, like speaking very, very clearly to me. It's like, um, and what he said, uh, paraphrasing is like, Nathan, like, I know I have your loneliness in mind, but he did that my first year of the Chi Alpha internship. And it was six months later that I was at WSU and WSU was the beginning of one of the hardest seasons of my life. And I do believe that, uh, the Lord, one of the things that kept me going through all that was one, like I knew I was supposed to bounce around. The Lord told me that the other reason was, was like, God had said something to me just before. And I, I really do believe God was like, I know it's going to get hard and I need you to know that like, I'm on your side here. And, uh, the Lord. Um, I went to WSU and um, there was a lot of hard things that happened there um, and it took its toll on me. Um, and I still struggle with why God needed to send me there. Um, I, I I do understand on some level why um, my presence there really um, healed a lot of things, um, but at the cost of enduring a lot of things. Um, and it was it was very it was very difficult, and I made some really good friends, good friends there. But uh, it was it was quite difficult, and uh, I left. Uh, I left WSU. And um, yeah, uh, uh, sorry, I left WSU uh, very very broken, very just. I cannot convey to you how broken I was, um, and what's uh, worse is that the Lord had told me. I get, like while I was at WSU, he's like, Nathan, you're going to enter a dark place. Um, and this was in my transition out of WSU. He's like, you're going to enter into a very dark place. And I was like, okay. Which I was like, okay, okay. I know dark places. It's going to be okay. <laughs> because I'd, I'd spent much of my life in isolation. I spent a lot of my time being depressed and stuff like that. Um, and I went to Skagit Valley College. I was hired by a Christian and, um, and uh, we spent an uh, interim year um, at uh, at, um, uh, at uh, Skagit Valley College while we prepared to come to OSU. And uh, I was just very, I was really struggling with just 
depression and anxiety and a lot of stuff. And I was just like, I was really quite shattered after WSU. Um, and then uh, while I was at Skagit, I was like, my depression's not getting better. Um, I'm, I'm really just, I'm just kind of a wreck. Everything was going wonderfully for me. Like externally, everything was going wonderfully for me. I, I, Christian will even tell you this. He's like, I've never seen anyone do so well so quickly at Skagit. Wow. Um, I, I, our core that was at Skagit grew from like one guy, two guys to like five or six, I had connections with many atheists through that and had built really meaningful relationships with at least one of them and was able to share the gospel with him. And he really respected um, me. And I don't say that to praise myself. It's just like we developed a relationship where he's like, no, I want to hear why Nathan believes what he believes. Um, But everything was going well. And yeah, I was very, very like broken on the inside. And I was very open with Christian about like, I'm, I know that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I know that something's very deeply wrong. And he was like, okay, well, like, let's, I, I I still want to hire you. (laughs) Shout out to Christian. (laughs) You might listen to this. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, he, he still hired me and, um, uh, but anyway, my depression, it was spring term or winter term. No, it was winter term. And I was like, my depression's not getting any better. And I'm, I'm going to do a fast. I'm, I'm going to do a media fast and cut out video games again and um, cut out TV. And like I and it uh, surprisingly was quite easy. It's it kind of weird. But I started having the most. Oh, and uh, another part of this time was like I the thing that I connected with the most was just feeling blind. I, I felt like I was sitting across from my students and I was like, I can't see what's going on in their heads. and I, I don't know what's going on and I don't know how to help. Even though everything was going great, I just was like, I can't see. Uh, because I felt blind, I was reading mm-hmm. Blind Bartimaeus. Like uh, the story in the Bible. The story in the Bible. And I read it every day for probably four months. And I would just think about it and ponder it and things like that. And um, one day... Uh, I was like, okay, my depression's not getting any better. I'm going to go and um, do a media fast, as I said. And I started having the most intense nightmares. Um, a lot of nightmares. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I was getting maybe three or four hours of sleep a night because I would just wake up in panic. Um, I started, I had the worst existential crisis I've ever experienced, uh, which literally put me on the floor. Um, I remember more than once just crawling onto the floor and just weeping openly and having struggled with depression and anxiety and existential crises for most of my life, all of my life, really, I, when God told me, it's like, you're entering a dark place. I really didn't realize it could get that dark. Um, like it was, it wasn't like a level darker. It was the worst thing I've, I, I like, I, I don't even know what to t- say about it. it. It's just like, you just, I hope that no one has to do it. I'm just going to leave it that, at that. I hope that no one has to do it. God was speaking to me though, through those 40, uh, that fasting period. Um, but it didn't make it any better. And there was like wonderful bits of provision. My therapist, I'd had a therapist before he, um, was like, Oh, like, 
Nathan's going through something and he really liked me. He really liked mm-hmm. me. And he was like, I'm full, but I'm going to make sure that I have time for you twice a week or once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. And so I, my therapist just opened his doors and he's great. Um, uh, I had a friend from Cape and Ray who scheduled six months before to visit me just during that time. Oh we didn't gosh. know that was going on. And so two of my friends from Cape and Ray were like, oh, we're going to come see you. And I literally remember talking to them. And being like, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy you're here, but this is like, I'm literally in the worst season of my life. Um, and it was just, uh, I, there's, my my mom was like, what's going on? Like, everybody was like, what's going on? This is like, Nathan's depressed, but he's never been like this before. And, and um, I eventually, I will still say I'm recovering from that. And it's been three years. So I think what I would say out of all of these these stories, all of these things um, that I hope someone might hear and understand a little bit is like, is that one, God just doesn't function on our timeline in the way that we do. And we really don't understand the purpose of the hardships that we have to endure sometimes. Um, we don't know why. God, uh, would, I don't know why God would allow Max to die when I didn't have any other friends. I don't understand that, but I understand death of a friend now. Um, death of a close friend. I understand loneliness very well. And I think one reason that, you know, there's two reasons why God teaches us the same lesson over and over again, I think. One is is because we didn't learn it the first time, <laughs> which is, that's on us. The other one is is to uh, understand with greater depth the thing that we're going through. Um, and so, like, we're, I, I think, just so that there's some sense of resolution to all this, because it, just so that there's some degree of, sort of happiness i guess i don't know doesn't have to end happy one thing i would say out of um one thing i think the lord is trying to talk to me about is like is it possible nathan so uh sorry there's a passage in philippians and paul says um i want to have fellowship with jesus in his suffering and to know the power of his resurrection and I think there's a translation that says, uh, I want to know him in his suffering, which is a very fascinating thing that Paul is saying. He's like, I literally like want to know Jesus. And I think fellowship is a way of coming to knowledge, but I want to know him in suffering. Whereas, and it's a very interesting thing. If our aspiration is to know God, which it is as Christians, is to know God, then we have to be willing to understand how our suffering can be a means of knowing him. And Mother Teresa really introduces this idea. In this interview with William F. Buckley, she says, uh, William F. Buckley asks, is like, why is there suffering in the world? And she's like, it is a chance for us to share in the passion of Christ. She's like, oh, it's a, it's a chance to be with him. That's effectively what she's saying. Like, it's a chance for us to be with him, which doesn't explain why there's suffering in the world. And William F. Buckley picks up on this. He's asking the philosophical question. She's just like, no, 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 no. If you want to be with Jesus, you 
It's not about why there's suffering mm-hmm. in the world. That's clear. It's a fallen world. Mm-hmm. She's like, but this, it's, it's in the world so we can partake in with what Jesus has done. And so I think one of the things that the Lord um, would have us, I hope that, gosh, everything I learn, I would say, I've learned over years. I don't learn in a day. You know, that blind Bartimaeus, you know, I thought about that for that passage for four months. But yeah, suffering. Is it a chance for us to know God in a different way? And are we bold enough? Are we strong enough? Are we willing enough? Do we love him enough to say, I want to know you when you're suffering? Um, Can we understand that God suffers with us in the same way? And we understand that perhaps um, it's not Jesus, uh, it's not a case of Jesus withholding himself from us. It's a case of God getting closer to us. Um, Mother Teresa, again, she humorously tells the story a number of times. I've heard it, I think, one or two times, one or two places, where a woman was suffering from cancer deeply, and she... Mother Teresa kneels over to her and she says, like, oh, this, stuff, this pain is like, is just like the Lord is so close to you that he's kissing you. And the woman comically says, can you tell Jesus to stop kissing me? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a very profound idea. It's like, no, it's like, can you understand that the agony sometimes isn't going to be displaced? It's just that he's closer to you actually in that moment. C.S. Lewis even says that in our pain, God shouts. It's in our pain that God shouts. Yeah. So I would encourage, I think I would encourage any non-believer that, or someone that's really struggling with like this familiarity with God. One, I would challenge you to wonder, it's like, well, no, people do talk like this. For centuries, people have talked like this. Like, no, there's a God that speaks. Yeah. And an atheist is like, I think most people are dismissive. And I was like, well, no, you actually shouldn't be dismissive because this is something that they're saying is a real thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, can you, uh, can, but yeah, can you accept that actually this might be a real thing? And can you explore that? I am not saying abandon one's intelligence, but like, can you like venture the possibility that it is possible? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Nathan. So, yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Nathan. That was a lot. That, you know. You went to a lot of emotional places. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Sorry, that's that's what you say after someone says thank you. Sometimes I forget. It's okay. The emotions are still in the room. Yeah. Well, let's end there. Thanks for, thanks for all of that. That was so good. Um, and thanks for making this podcast happen. I like working with you. Contrary to what you joke about a lot. So this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll wrap up there. Um, If you're out there listening, we do hope that this episode encourages you in your own walk with God, wherever you're at right now. Um, Feel free to email us, as always, with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com, or you can reach out to one of us in person. Have a great week, and remember, we have a lot to learn about God through suffering.